0: Hi there, I'm Emma and I'm the B2B Marketing Manager at Code First Girls and this is Represent. I'm very excited to be joined by Sarah Milton-Hunt. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. You're the Chief Information and Digital Officer at National Grid, so thanks for coming all the way in today. Let's talk about what you're working on at National Grid because I think there's some exciting stuff there that our community would love to hear about. So all all splashed across your website, you're talking about decarbonizing the power system. So how many touch points do you have throughout your day-to-day uh, job and what you're working on as far as technology is concerned with the sustainability agenda? Every day. Everything.
1: Every single day and everything we're doing. If you look at the... Uh, The task ahead of us um, as a country uh, and our particular responsibility in uh, transmission of how do you and and transmission and distribution is we've got an obligation as it currently stands to connect 50 gigawatts of renewable um, energy offshore by 2030. And the reality is we need to build that digitally native. Um, We have uh, such an inflection point in demand that you can't continue to do the things we've done the way we've always done them for the last 30, 40, 50 years. And uh, particularly in transmission, you know, we are still running a transmission network in the same way that it was uh, decided and designed when we got to the super grid 50 years ago, which is brilliant how long it stands the test of time. But I do think we're at that point in time now where uh, we are going to set the tone for the next 30. Um, and we have a responsibility to make sure that we do it in the best way we possibly can. And fundamentally, that will be digital because um how do you do it faster, quicker, more safely, more securely? and um, throwing people at that isn't the answer. Mm. Throwing skills and digitizing it um it is absolutely a contribut- contribute contributor to that. Um, so it's very much a balance between, and don't get me wrong, I am really particular about this. It doesn't mean we don't need subject matter expertise. It's not replacing that in our organisation in any way, shape or form. It's actually giving you a brilliant uh, automated co-pilot in that capability to get you to certain things to apply your expertise at a faster rate.
0: And, you know, when you're talking about those incredibly ambitious targets that we as a country need to get to in National Grid are going to be so important to help us get there, are there emerging technologies that make you feel more confident in our ability to get there?
1: Um, and I, it, I don't think it's always emerging technologies. I will come back to the emerging technologies piece, but it's not always emerging technologies. From my experience in actually working across a number of industries, particularly in consulting, there would be something that manufacturing would consider so blasé and old hat. But if you applied it to finance, made a significant difference. Um, so when, uh, when we talk about digital and national grid, we talk about it being um, three things, which is reimagining the way we do work, fundamentally shifting how we go about it. Um, moving it to be done in an agile iterative way instead of the old style of sitting and thinking what what it would be in three years time and what we would deliver because it's got to be far more adaptive than that and then we talk about frontier technology and that for me uh, is around that piece of maybe the new application of old technology in a different way that will make a difference but um, if you talk about the front end of it you can't not talk about what generative AI mm-hmm. is going to do to both the workplace and um, our ability to accelerate uh, digitization, data, insights, how we respond in the world. Um, and all of these things come with both sides of the coin. There's positives and negatives to that. Um but it's definitely coming back to that co-piloting piece about um, about how technology works hand in hand with expertise, particularly in generative AI. Um, if you are not an expert in the subject that you're inquiring about off of generative AI, you can get a very poor response out of it. And if you act upon that, you then just perpetuate bad situations. So um yeah, I love it. Um, I love what it's bringing to bear, um, but you've also got to make sure that you do it the right way. And it's really shifting um, roles even in the um, sector. You know, with generative AI, you're going to be looking for things like prompt engineers. You've got to be the capable of asking it the right questions mm. um, versus actually necessarily being able to code. And then talking about code, the language for that is going to be English more and more. So, you know, it's how do you ask data the right questions and pair that with the rest of the digital capabilities to make a difference.
0: How do our community and other women who are entering into the tech workforce best prepare themselves for jobs that might not necessarily exist right now but they know will do very shortly? Is it just stay on top of the code, is it always making sure that you're upskilling in whatever way possible? What's the best way to to future proof if you like even if you are currently in the tech workforce?
1: I think persistent curiosity is always going to be your best attribute to that. Of course, everything you just said, you're going to expose yourself. You're going, you going, know, If you look at Google, um, they've already put out plenty of training courses. There's a training course free that online about how you use their tools from a generative AI perspective. Play with them. Play with technology. That's the main thing. Play with it. Try to break it. Because actually when you break it, try to put it back together, you learn more than just knowing it. Um, so it's that curiosity, that desire to go out and learn And then coming back to your point around uh, diversity and experience, bring a different perspective to it. Uh, Ask it a different set of questions than it would expect to be asked. Um, And and those are the kinds of things I think you just need to just continue to do that fearlessly. Mm.
0: Yes. Fearless curiosity, I think, is uh, a trait that you could probably uphold and it would take you very far, especially in leadership I think and you know we've been talking a little bit before the camera started rolling about leadership and you're very vocal about that across your LinkedIn and obviously as a tech leader yourself you do differentiate between, between a transactional leader um, and a transformational leader so what does that mean and what does it look like for you
1: and I'm not absolutely saying I do it brilliantly, but it's always a curiosity of mine. Um, If you're doing something fundamentally different or of a scale that's not been done before, or you're really breaking boundaries and new frontiers, um, which is what transformation really should be and is, it's a different skill set to just operating in a a day-to-day manner. Um, And actually um, your role is to set everybody up for the biggest type of success Mm -hmm. except failure is a, a really big one. I'm not talking persistent, huge failure. Um, but if you don't fail, you're not learning. If you don't fail, you're not at the edge of knowing something. Um, if you fail and don't learn, that's the failure. Um, so I think that's what I mean about, um, transformational leadership. Um, and actually, how do you make alchemy happen? Because that's when real transformation happens. How do you take a bunch of people that are superb in their fields, usually massively different um, styles, experiences, approaches to it? Um, and then, but put them in a space that feels safe, enabled, um, and able to do their absolute best. That's the kind of thing I think transformational leadership is.
0: And that feeling of being in a safe space, do you think that that has a direct impact on a person's ability to feel like they can accept failure at work? Because I can imagine that accepting failure as a coder, you know, that's all part of coding basically is the next challenge and the next bug. But I think it's not necessarily in line with what we see as a society as being productive at work. So you've just said safe spaces there, but how else do you Im- embed that in your team as far as a transformational mindset?
1: Um, I think it's permission to fail. I think that's really important. I think the, the, um, uh, it is that safety piece for people to know that actually if we, if we failed at something um, and we've learned something from it, it's not a failure. It's, a, it, I mean, it's the same old adage, isn't it? It did not take one, you, we didn't, Uh, invent the light bulb on the first go it was thousands and thousands of failures but one massive success and if you stop at every failure we wouldn't get the light bulb we wouldn't have the need for electricity or electrification for stop um so it's that um it's not just a safe space I think it's the how do you motivate people to carry on um, even in the face of adversity. I think resilience is a massively important skill people need to learn because the world constantly changes. And if you can't cope with that constant change and build a resilience to that constant change, you will find it difficult. Um, So um, how do you support people in developing that resilience and how it means to them? I mean, resilience to one person to another person is a, is a different thing. And it's that uniqueness and taking the time to know people as well and to be authentic yourself and be known um because and admit your own failures that's the first thing you have to do as a leader i i I'm, and my guys would tell you i'm absolutely happy to say i've failed i generally try not to, not to but um if i if i've failed i put my hand up um, and you have to accept it and you have to lead out with that don't you if you're not willing to step out and say i failed at this but this is what I'm going to do next with it. Um, and contextualise your favor, failure. What does it mean? What did I learn from it? Which means what am I going to do different? And is it total failure? Very, very rarely.
0: And I wonder whether or not you ever draw on, you know, the way that transformation is being brought into your teams now and all of those early skills that you learned, having to pick yourself up and try a lot of different things in your early career.
1: Um, yeah, I do, I do. I do think it probably does influence it in that sense. I think... Um, life influences you. You know, everybody's had a different journey, and and it's those experiences that make you who you are and why you are. And it's understanding that of others. So yeah, I think it's important thing to take the time to know people and and know what that brings to it. But definitely, I would say my experience is help me in my job every single day. It's around um, how you keep going and and search and seeking those goals that you set. Um, And I do think there is a value in having that clarity of what your ambition is and aim as high as you possibly can.
0: Yeah, that's a good takeaway. And obviously you're a leader to multiple teams. And I think within that, you're always going to be wanting to uh, provide a culture where you're um, embracing people to push forward into leadership themselves and seniority. So what do you do as a leader and also at National Grid to promote uh, the progression of women in tech roles in particular?
1: Um, I've been really blessed actually to work in an environment with generally majority, a lot of women leaders. So it's not been massively unusual for me. In National Grid, we have a Women in National Grid network uh, that's actively supported and, and groups in mentoring and helping other Women and people um, uh, come together um, in IT and digital, for example, earlier in the year, we did the Simmons Women in Leadership event. So we took the opportunity for people to apply to come and we did that um, as an activity on both sides of the Atlantic. So we did it in the US um, and the UK did it all virtually Um, in the breakouts. We then were on teams sharing our experience with one another. Um, And it was a great way to forge those relationships because I think it's that collaboration and relationships that will make the difference in helping you navigate and not necessarily formal relationships. It's those informal interactions where somebody gets to know you. And then when something comes up, they go, oh yeah, do you remember? How about they would be a good person for, Um, so take those opportunities every single time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, that's a great one, and I think it seems like a very simple question to ask, but I think it's important to ask you: Why is it important that we get more diverse people working within the energy sector?
1: In every sector, we need more diversity. For stop across the board, because if you talk about transformation, um, not transforming means doing it the same way we've always done it. Um, and so if you get people all with the same mindsets and the same perspectives and the same perspective you're never going to not do it the same way you've always done it because collectively you are in an echo chamber and agree with one another because it's what we've always done Um, transformation is about not doing what we've always done and finding a different way and the only way that you will get that that is to have diversity, diversity in perspective, diversity in thought, diversity in experience. So we can't transform without diversity and we should have more equity across the whole piece, including that the uh, female voice in the room
0: that's amazing that's such a good soundbite that's fab. thank you um so we had we went out and asked our community um as to what they'd like to ask you and i think so many of our community are fascinated as to what you're doing at national grid but also as such a big tech employer would like to understand what they could put on their cv to help it stand out so one of our community said is there something on a cv cover letter that instantly jumps out at you
1: Really badly. I never see a cover letter. So, um, for me, it's about making sure your CV's got, it stands on its own, uh, no more than two pages because, and you need to make the impact in that format, um, in two pages because I have to read a lot of them. Um, and, uh, it's about demonstrating, and this isn't going to necessarily help, but it's about demonstrating who you are in, in, in it. And that's in the aesthetic of a cv will make a difference um that will particularly as i said earlier for me formatting um, not looking ugly uh in that way but actually how are you it's a piece of paper representing you so make it do the best representation it can do
0: great and for somebody that doesn't necessarily have years of technological experience behind them what else are you looking for outside of those tech skills if they've got the most beautiful looking CV. It's perfectly formatted. What's the substance that you're looking for outside the tech skills?
1: Um, Collaboration skills, people skills, Uh, because if you can't work in a team, if you can't form that, uh, those relationships and that network and that interaction, um, you are going to be a brilliant individual contributor uh, and you will be a expert and brilliant in your field potentially Um, But if you want to be a leader, you have definitely got to work out how you're going to work with people, um, enthuse them, engage them, empower them um, and inspire them basically. So that's what needs to come through, who you are and how you work with people. So I would look at that as well as a very, very important thing. Tech skills clearly do have a a relevance. I'm I'm not going to hire you to be a a data scientist with no data science experience whatsoever, but I would take you on as a graduate and. Data science. If you showed an, an an ability and an inquiry and an ability to work with, with your consumer, uh, your end customer, and one of the things we haven't actually touched on is that concept of being in. In the person's mind that's consuming the technology, it's the most important thing. If it's not intuitive and, and lovely to use, people don't use it. So if you can bring that to bear and that thinking uh, in how you code, mm. um, how you build technology or anything that we do in the digital landscape, um, you're going to stand out.
0: That's great advice. Thank you, Sarah. I've talked to you all day. I have so many more questions, but I'm also very aware of time. So let's wrap up with the questions we always ask, which is if you could read that book that you read for the first time again,
1: what book would it be? It's not remotely a technology book either. That's
0: absolutely fine.
1: Um, I read Untamed by Glennon Doyle uh, and I absolutely loved it from the perspective of... Thoroughly changing the, any maps I had of my territory and the way I was thinking.
0: And maps as far as uh, metaphysically thing or physical maps?
1: No, I think my thinking, really. Thinking maps, how you, how you see things. It just took me, uh, it gave me an entirely different perspective on things like your island and being permissive about who ha- can and can't be on it. It's about um, empowerment and decision making and it gave me a really different perspective about it.
0: That sounds like a great book. I'll definitely it is phenomenal. add that to the list. That sounds fab. And if you could share one word of wisdom with your younger self,
1: what would it be? Worry less. Worry less. Worry. Um, uh, you. It comes back to that point I was saying about earlier about being permissive in failure. It's not a failure. It's a lesson. It's a, something you've learned and you've done differently. Worry less about it.
0: Oh Sarah, thank you so much for spending the time to chat to us. It's been amazing.
1: No, absolute pleasure. Loved it. Thank you.